we will be following Romans 12, 2 as our scripture reading today, if you want to keep your Bible open. And I will say, if you don't have a Bible, take that orange one home with you. If you know somebody that needs a Bible, take that orange one home with you. Um, it is our gift to you if you don't have one. We believe in the Word of God and that a physical copy of the Word of God matters. I'm going to begin, though, today not with Romans 12, 2. I'm going to begin out of Proverbs Proverbs 24, verses 30 and 31. It's a proverb about somebody who is foolish. In verse 30, it says, I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere, and gr the ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. Here we have a, a common biblical example used, we heard it in Jeremiah, it's used in a number of, or at least alluded to in Jeremiah 31. We uh, get this image of the vineyard uh, often in scripture, and it can be a very powerful image uh, that is used many times of uh, what God intends for Israel. Jesus uses it, uh, the, uh, the vine, the branches of believers in him. And the vineyard throughout scripture is used as a symbol of, among other things, wealth, experience, and wisdom. And with, when it comes to the vineyard, there's something that's expected to happen in a vineyard, which is growth, which is really in many ways what we're talking about today, and we're talking about a specific kind of growth today. And so as we talk about growth, and we're going to use this image of the vineyard as we move forward, it is possible for a person to grow in their knowledge of God without a whole lot of intent behind it. You have to have some intent in order to grow in that relationship, but you can have kind of the minimum standard of intent and still have some growth, and certainly a person can grow in sort of casual knowledge of God, but not so much relationship without much intent. And how you see sometimes this a casual kind of approach to this occasionally happen within church life, for instance, would be lines like, I don't need theology uh, to tell me that God loves me. Or more precisely, sometimes I've heard many times, actually, I don't need theology to know that Jesus loves me. Actually, you do, as it turns out, um, in order to, to interpret it that way. But what you hear kind of next to and outside of the church then, in a similar vein, about growth and knowledge of God without much intent, is I don't need organized religion. You know, spiritual but not religious, that sort of thing. But if I may challenge some of those thoughts this morning of, of not having intent with growth uh, in our relationship with God, uh, let's take a parallel idea. So if I took a poll in this room and said, would you like me to continue this sermon with a sentence structure to all my sentences or no sentence structure from here on out, I'm going to guess you want me to use sentence structure to preach the rest of the sermon, right? There needs to be some order and intent to how we proceed. If you want an example, if you want to go even further to thinking about um, how living sort of uh, with, with some structure to how we do things, uh, if you go travel to other countries in the world where they have rules of the road but they don't follow them, structure matters if you've ever been to a place like that, right? Structure and following that structure and, and having some form of organization and intent to how we do things and when it comes to growth matters. And so a key question I want to ask as we begin is, when it comes to any relationship that you have with God, am I interested in functioning 
or flourishing? When it comes to life, am I interested in functioning in this life or flourishing in this life? And I'm suggesting that intent and how we, uh, having some structure to how we do that actually does matter. If we come back then to the vineyard example and, and consider functioning or flourishing, the sluggard does nothing for his vineyard in our proverb. Is he going to get grapes? Yeah, he's going to get some grapes. A vine's going to grow. There will be grapes. They'll be close to the ground. It'll take some more work to harvest them, probably, because you have to find them. But it's not cultivated. It's not tied up so that you can have easier access to the grapes and so that it will flourish and grow with, to maximum capacity over time. It takes cultivation to produce that maximum flourishing of the grapes. And if we ask further and press the example of a vineyard a little further, when it comes to a grapevine, what's the purpose of growing the grapevine in the vineyard but to produce what? Grapes. So you obviously want it to work with some structure and with some intent and with some function to flourish. And if we then ask, as we ask the purpose of the grapes, what's the purpose of your life? There's a big question for your Sunday morning. What's the purpose of your life? We've been created, as it turns out, by a good God. And what that means, if you tease out God's goodness, God is love and God is holy, is what that means. We kind of start to define what that goodness looks like. Not God is like love and not God is like holiness. God is those things. If we want to define what love is and holiness is, we look to God, who would be the very definition of those things. Understanding that, if we're asking the sense of our purpose in life, our purpose then in life is to respond back to God who created us in love and holiness. In other words, we're supposed to become good. That's the goal, which means becoming like Jesus Christ. When the New Testament talks about being like Christ, it's talking about living as people in love and holiness, that is being good, but, of course, this is where we run into some complications. As our example in the children's message this morning illustrated so nicely, something's broken. So we aren't, by our very nature, good. There are good things about us, perhaps, but we are not good. And what that requires, our passage will tell us today, is transformation. To become that good. To become like Christ. And what I'm going to suggest is, before we even get to the passage, transformation doesn't occur by accident. It requires intent. The transformation is going to be done by the Holy Spirit, by God's very power, but it requires us actually being open to it and working with the Holy Spirit, with intent, to be transformed. And so as we round out Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, this series, this is the last Sunday of it, um, what I'm challenging you with is to, to consider something that's sometimes called a rule of life. Uh, it's, it's a way to be more intentional about uh, how that transformation through Christ is going to occur. And it's not so much prescriptive, but I'll give you some ideas of how to do this. You can do it in various ways. It's conceived in a lot of different ways, but the whole goal is intent. And we, when we talk about the idea of a, a rule of life, all we're saying, Pete Scazzaro defines it this way, it's an intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. So however you're going to 
make that intent a plan, that's a fine result from a day like today. But I'll give you four areas of focus. The small groups are going to work through this uh, this week, and they're going to look at Acts 2 and how the early church lived this out. But four areas of focus that have been focused on for uh, a long period of history and in many of the sort of rubrics of a rule of life that you see are the areas of rest, of work, of prayer, and community. And, And they're intentional in that when you talk about a sense of rest, and answering the question, okay, how, how do I have a rhythm of both work and stopping that work to enjoy God's creation and enjoy God's presence? So we talked about Sabbath through the series, or silence, or just, just stopping to be with God, but not haphazardly to actually make that a rhythm and a discipline of how we do it. When we talk about work, the idea there is actually the outflow of God's love working through us, which can happen in a couple ways, principally through our service to others. It's not simply our work on the job with our, what brings in the money. It can happen there, but service and then also uh, study and, and delight in God's word. So it's God's word and work. We delight in both of those born out of love of God working through us. When we speak of prayer, it's direct and active relationship with God that we're pursuing, and all of these done, we we develop a plan, if you don't already have it, to discipline ourselves to actually do these regularly with intent. And then when it comes to the idea of community, these are the people you're yoked with. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What he means is, I'll teach you how to walk if we're yoked together. You can go at my speed in my way. So we need to be yoked with his people. They need to be, uh, the church needs to become, and the people that we do this faith life with, with need to become the pace setters and influences in our life. The people we live and die with. That doesn't mean you can't have friends outside of that, but it means that the primary influences in how your, your growth and transformation in Jesus Christ is going to take place comes through the people who have also chosen to follow Jesus Christ. That's all the rule of life is doing, is challenging you in areas such as this to say, what's the plan? How are you going to try and flourish in this life of transformation? And so I'm proposing this morning simply that we do a check-in on your essential relationships so you see maximum flourishing in your life with Christ and his people. And again, we come back to the, the grapevine for a moment because the idea of rule, when we talk about a rule of life, um, actually, my understanding of the origin of the word is it comes from trellis, is the, the root of it, which is what you do with a grape vine is you tie it up to something like a trellis so that it will actually flourish. That's what you're doing in a rule. You're aiming for flourishing with intent. And if you think about this further, this idea of ruling things and being intentional in, in the spiritual life and in your relationship with God and with God's people, if we think of our work life, we either, maybe you enjoy, maybe you endure, I don't know, 360 degree, re, degree reviews, easy to say, right? Performance evaluations. We set up goals for our work life of what we're going to do and what we're going to achieve. And we do that in order to get better at our job and sometimes even to reap a reward of promotions or bonuses or a raise or whatever it might be. And even further, culturally speaking, our job often is our identity far too much of the time. 
And so we can easily invest in those things, wanting to get better at the thing that we identify ourselves with because it takes up so much of our time. And so when we talk about our intent in areas like rest and work and prayer and community, I guess my question would be, why wouldn't we do the same thing for our relationship with Jesus and his church that we do for our work life? Why wouldn't we intentionally take time to evaluate and make sure that we're constantly moving forward in the life of transformation through Jesus Christ and that we are intentionally open to what God is doing? And the danger of not doing this Again, Pete Scazzaro tells this, this stuck with me in reading his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. He talks about a church member uh, named Jay in his church who said this, I was a Christian for 22 years, but instead of being a 22-year-old Christian, I was a one-year-old Christian 22 times. I just kept doing the same thing over and over and over again. So you can have that discipline. You can, you can kind of keep doing it, but we want to advance in that transformation. That's why we would assess and say, okay, I need a plan, and I need to keep developing the plan so that I'm more open to what God is doing to transform me. And so Paul, let's go to our text in Romans 12, 2. If you want to find it, it's 1063 of the Pew Bible. Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. That word world, some of you might have age uh, or, or time or something like that. Um, that's, it's getting at that idea of, of the period of time that we live in. Do not conform to that eon is kind of the word that's there. The time period, the culture that you're, the water that you're swimming in, don't conform to that is what it's saying. And so if we're talking about in the beginning that uh, our, the intent of, and purpose of this life is to become good, to become like Christ, that can only really happen through the work of God working through us, through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in us, then when we get to a passage like this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, why does Paul have to say that except there's a problem that most of us, in fact probably all of us, are culturally compromised more than we want to admit or know. We have conformed in too many ways. And so when I look at the, the issue of rest, as we looked at that rule of life, we'll just take that as an example of ways that we sometimes conform and it even impacts how we approach our faith. If we look at it outside of that for a moment, we easily live with the belief that the value of our life uh, is measured by how much we do and what we do. That identity piece with work. My job is my value and my work. And so we must be productive in order to have value. We easily fall into those categories. And so when we even translate that into our faith life, what we end up doing is easily elevating the things that we can easily quantify on a checklist. I can read my Bible and I can check off the reading plan. I do it every day. I can easily quantify that. We can easily pack backpacks that go to schools so that kids have something to eat over the weekend. That's a good thing. We can quantify that. We can go to an event that's planned for a church function. We can plan the event. We can volunteer at the event, the potato bar next weekend. Those are all good things, but we easily elevate those things above one of the things God commanded us, which is stop and rest. Well, but aren't I wasting time when I do that? Well, God says, no, you're not. God, in fact, said, I did that on the seventh day. I'm asking you to stop and rest. 
but we've been culturally compromised sometimes to value the wrong things or elevate things too high, even if they're good. I, I faced this even when I was doing my sabbatical last fall. Um, a week into my sabbatical, it took me about a week and a half to fully kind of disconnect and decompress and do all of that. And, and I had a checklist of things I wanted to accomplish, of books I wanted to read, entirely too long, a, a list of books that I wanted to read. And, and I had things that I wanted to do, prayer walking a certain amount of miles, and the number of verses I wanted to, to read, and the number of places I wanted to go, and people I wanted to talk to, and this whole list of things. And about a week and a half in, I'd, I'd gone to Colorado. I'd been in Lincoln for the first week. I went to Colorado. I was in a mountain cabin, no internet, no cell phone service. It was glorious. And, and the second day, I, I went down, down the mountain a little bit to a, a, a national monument to go hiking for a little bit. And I did have cell phone service there, surprisingly. And so I called Stephanie, and I was talking to her a little bit in the morning. And uh, she could just sense I wasn't letting go. And she said, stop worrying about us. We're okay. Stop thinking about this place. Everything's okay here. Just pull back. Stop trying to accomplish everything. And so I, I, fin I talked to her and, and finished what I was doing, and I went back to the cabin up the hill again. And I just sat down and decided to be silent. And by, by being silent, God spoke and said, stop trying to do. Just be. Just be with me. And so I took him at his word. I, I was with God. We've been culturally compromised sometimes to... to believe that what we do is the value and measure of our worth. And for an example with this category of rest, when we start categorizing where, where we need to rest better or where we need to study better or serve better, when we talk about rest, the key question that I was facing and that we face with rest, for instance, is will the universe keep spinning if I stop? The answer is yes, it will. And God says we should. Transformation does not occur by accident. It requires intent. We've been culturally compromised. We need to become uncompromised. What does Paul say about that? We go on in the verse. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but what? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation begins in love for Jesus. That's the start of it. Do we love him? first of all, if we're going to not conform, but actually be transformed? Are we willing to engage in the process at all? And what Paul's talking about when he talks about conforming and transforming, he's talking about two things that we're, we're responding to. If we're conforming in the way that Paul's using it, we're conforming to the world around us, to the time period, to the culture that we live in. If we are being transformed then we are responding to God's work through Jesus Christ. Those are two very different things that we're responding to, but they're shaping us nonetheless. One for better, one for worse. Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When he says that, that word is pretty simple and straightforward. It's your inner disposition. It's your judgment center. It's the thing that makes all the decisions in your life. That thing about you, Paul says, be transformed there in your decision-making center. 
but by the renewing of your mind is to actually have a new nature in that decision-making center on even what you're deciding on and how you're making those decisions. If we are not to conform to this present age or this present time, then if we're going to be renewed, that means it gives us a new way to mark time. It gives us a new set of rules to live under if we're being transformed to be like the image of Christ. And in that sense, then, we live in this time, but we live by the rules of the one to come. And that's going to cause some conflict and difficulty. But one of the important things that I think should be seen here when he says, by the renewing of your mind, that word renewing has a definite direction to it that's, that's implied there, which is better. I want us to hear that clearly. It's better. It's not just a different mind. It's not just an optional, you could be conformed to the world or you could be transformed like Jesus Christ, good on both ends. No, if we go to last week, the old mind, the old way, that anything that's not of Christ is garbage. That's what Paul told us last week. And the renewed mind is better. It's not garbage. It's good. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the better mind, Paul says. And then we go on to the last part. So do not conform, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That middle word, if you just do a little translation check, it's got a a lot of different translations, but all these are the same direction. God's will is the thing to follow. It's the good thing. It's the only thing that matters. It's not garbage. It's the right thing. It's the better way. And if your goal is just to function in life, you can suffice without a trellis. You can suffice without a rule. You can suffice without a plan, without any intent. You can make it through this life. And maybe you'll grow a little bit. Maybe you'll produce something. God has given us life and the capacity to live in this life. You can exist. You can do it. God gave us that option. But then God also gave us the option to perish at the end of it. And that's the end of the story. I'm going to invite the band forward as I uh, draw this to a close here in just a moment. I want to read a little a paragraph from the beginning of Parker Palmer's book, A Hidden Wholeness. Because he says something, I think, important about intent and about flourishing in intent versus perishing by just living and functioning. Parker Palmer says, There was a time when farmers on the Great Plains, at the first sign of a blizzard, would run the rope from the back door out to the barn. They all knew stories of people who had wandered off and been frozen to death, having lost sight of home in a whiteout while still in their own backyards. If your goal is to function, you can end up perishing in your own backyard. But if your goal is to flourish, then you need to plan for a better mind, a transformed mind. This happens with a plan that begins with love of Jesus, and then the rubber meets the road, and we need to actually make sure the time is set to be with God, to live out, uh, out of love for God in this world. And the challenge today is to assess and to grow, to tie the vine to the trellis if you haven't already, and to retie it and reestablish it if you have tied it. Because time with Jesus is transformative. 
Once we've put that time in, then we can live in real time in God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. We can discern it. We can live it out. Transformation does not occur by accident. It requires intent. And my simple admonition this morning is to take a look at your plan for transformation to be like Jesus. Do you have one? And if you have one, what does it look like? Because we put our energy into what we love. Let your life, your schedule, your plan reveal who you love. Then you will show the world God's goodness developing and growing in and through you. That vineyard is such a powerful example throughout Scripture of wealth, experience, and wisdom. What kind of vine are you tending? What kind of vine are you tending this morning? And is it resulting in a God-loving, flourishing life? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. May we find contentment in your presence and not simply in doing. Transform us today. Put in place in our lives, through your Holy Spirit, the power to discern and live out your good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let our days be structured by the rhythms of your love and holiness. Let our testimony of your goodness be obvious and flourish in our lives because we have intentionally given them over to you. Amen.